Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome back to episode number 14 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And uh, today I, wa- I welcome Dr. Derek Wilcox, and he's a member of the Renaissance Periodization Team and a PhD in sports psychology. I want to make sure I get all this stuff right. Sports psychology and performance. He's a competitive power lifter. And I really like this one. I read your bio is the smallest person to ever squat 1000 pounds. That's an interesting distinction. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. Anyway, it's great to have you on the show. And I wanted to first see what the hell did I miss? That's really important to you in your, uh, in your bio. Well, uh, in powerlifting terms, the, the thousand pound squat is more of a, a bragging right, I guess, since it's not a, a real weight class thing, but mm-hmm. all my heroes growing up in powerlifting, a ton of them were had that distinction. Uh, Fred Hadfield, I think Kirk Kowarski mm-hmm. at one time, Chuck Vogelpohl, Sam Bird. Uh, so to be on a list with those kinds of people, is pretty incredible to me. I'm not sure to what extent, you know, the, the audience listening is really super knowledgeable about, you know, your power lifters. I'm sort of intermediate, like you get your, uh, you know, Dan Green is someone I, I enjoy. I had uh, Dr. Jordan Shallow on not too long ago, you know, and, and speaking of Dr. Mike Gizertel, who like reached out to me, he's like, hey, will you put Derek on the podcast? I'm like, for everything that Mike's ever done, God, yes, you're, you're coming on, right? Push you to the front of the list. But uh, Shallow is so much like Gizertel in their humor and their personality. And Shallow's a strong guy, but he got his start in powerlifting in Dan Green's gym. So can you imagine that kind of environment coming up? So, but I know powerlifting definitely is getting more. Yeah, be pretty wild. What's that? Sorry. Oh, I, I missed what you just said. Oh, no, I was just saying it would be a pretty wild environment there for sure. Oh, God, yes. Um, but I know for, for a lot of personal trainers, powerlifting is part of their world. And I know it's really interesting. I've never competed myself, so I don't know as much about the actual competitive side, but I admire the people who do it really well. And I find that a lot of people who come from a, a powerlifting background tend to be very technically good at a lot of the coaching side uh, when it comes to everyday personal training. So the other thing I want to start with was, you know, we all it's been a fucked up year. So uh, how have you devoted your energy uh, and career development this year, given the limitations we've had in travel, amongst other things? Well, I've been incredibly fortunate with um, the way I've been able to position myself career-wise with RP. Most of the work is done online. So we we still took a hit coaching-wise because when the gym shut down, you know, people stopped training and basically canceled everything to save money because they don't know what's coming around. But a few months into all this coronavirus and COVID-19 mess, we, uh, we started having an uptake of people just trying to figure out how to work out of home. And for me as a coach, you know, it's my passion in life. I really wanted to be able to really tap in and come up with more creative ways to do at-home workouts because that's where the demand was. So it's always good to have kind of a shift in the paradigm, so to speak, to really test your skills and worth as a coach. You weren't telling people to get under the couch and use it as a leg press or shit like that, I hope. Yeah, I actually made some uh, demo videos for at-home workouts, and I brought everything out from broomsticks to pitchforks. So I tried to have fun with it. (laughs) Cool. I've heard of people getting outdoors and using like cinder blocks and all kinds of other crazy. Well, actually, that's kind of a smart thing to do anyway. One of my guys had to take a couple... Uh, maybe three weeks off more recently because he was doing he was moving pallets of brick to do some um, work around his house came back he's visibly leaner he'd been hauling tons of this stuff around non-stop so i was like well that's a good workout too bad that isn't going isn't all the time i don't think he wanted to continue with it though so uh you know any other sort of 
attitude or thoughts about, you know, how to approach. We're we're hearing cases rising all over the world, and I'm not one of these people that likes to get into the fear and hysteria because I think the media does a good enough job of that. And I and personally, you know, I'm I'm not going to go into a big rant about media, but I don't think the media is very honest. Um, I think there's a lot of misinformation, and I think we know that the media benefits from making things sound scary and you know cherry picking things to make it sound worse so and i don't think it'll be quite the same way it was when we didn't know anything as march and april ramped up but you know we're going into winter uh, you know here in, in canada and the us so we're still facing you know not a lot of public gatherings we're not going to have conferences we're not going to have a lot of that outlet for our career stuff and I'm kind of hoping that a lot of people, especially the types who are listening to this podcast, have chosen to make as good on this year as possible. What are some of the things you think would be really, what's a, what's now a good time for? Well, for one thing, one of the biggest reasons uh, or excuses people had beforehand was I don't have time to work out. <laughs> if you're stuck at home, you know, you've got plenty of time now. I think you made a meme about that when all this started. Uh, being uh, in quarantine or lockdown for a full month after saying you don't have enough time to work out and you leave 10 pounds heavier, it, it kind of shows where the priorities are, I guess. But extra stressful time is more of a joke. For you. Uh, but it does help kind of put you in one spot. You can refine your schedule. And it, honestly, it's the best way to fight off stress and the depression of having to be stuck at home all the time. So... Even when I was taking my psychology minor in my undergrad, uh, you could ask any professor on campus and they say, if you want to go find the happiest people around here, go to the exercise science department because the people who exercise the most have the more positive anabolic hormones flow through the body, more serotonin, more dopamine responses, all those things. So it helps keep you a little bit more formidable psychologically to tackle whatever's in front of you. How are you getting people in the door? Because again, given the stress, you know, there are people who have you alluded to, they've lost their livelihoods or they're worried about their livelihoods. You know, uh, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, and we've been good, but my friends in, in Toronto and Quebec, uh, their gyms are closed and we have gyms still closed in California. And, you know, that may be something that we see a threat of, but I don't want to go too much into the COVID stuff, but given all of the reasons people can legitimately feel like they can't get started how do you from a you know a sports psychology background get someone's foot in the door at a time like this and that speaks to how can trainers have that conversation with clients who haven't come back yet who are inactive who are at home and they're struggling to move gotcha well the psychology background was, was really just a minor in my undergrad the phd was in physiology so there's it sounds similar but it's a little different uh, Honestly, I'd, I'd have to thank Renaissance RP for really working their marketing to showing what worth we have as individuals and coaches and the content we put out. Because I think people really want to make the most of their efforts. And they know if they have evidence-based practices, they know where to go to get that. And that's generally through Renaissance. And there are a lot of other places as well. But that's what, literally what we're known for and what we preach the most. So if you come to Renaissance for anything, coaching, products, whatever, this sounds like a big plug, but I'm just being honest about it. Um, you just know the quality of the stuff that you're going to get, and you don't want to mess around, waste effort, waste time, et cetera. So as far as foot, feet in the door, I'd say that that's the biggest part, just the reputation that we have. 
Well, I, I love our and That's one of the reasons why you're on here. You know, uh, Mike's been great. I've, I've loved Mike's stuff for a really long time. I've gone to see Mike, James Hoffman, Melissa Davis all present. I've had uh, Gabby Fundaro here on the podcast. And uh, I even, uh, you know, through Mike, uh, helped hook my friend Carolyn McDonald up with a, uh, a job with you guys. Have you dealt with Carolyn much? I've seen her name pop up. I don't think I've actually interacted with her specifically. Okay. She's a lot of fun. You'll, you'll, you'll get a good kick out of her if, uh, if you interact with her a whole lot more. I think she's more involved with, uh, with Charlie and their team when it comes to certainly operations and maybe some marketing stuff. So, you know, she's pretty cool. I wasn't sure if you knew her too well. Well, sounds like I need to. <laughs> and you guys also have, you know, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky is part of the team now. And, and Spencer's a former podcast guest, a really great, awesome dude. I met him back first at first back in 2017 at the, um, the Kansas City Fitness Summit. And, and Spencer was great from day one. He puts out a ton of great stuff. And one of the things I like about Spencer and kind of what I'm alluding to here is, you know, where's the accessible stuff that can help the end user? And maybe it's the person who doesn't think to sign up for a company like Renaissance Periodization, you know? And, and again, the trainers who are listening, because I think a lot of the trainers who are listening are probably at least some getting information from you know, Mike and the RP team, the RP books, uh, Diet 2.0, um, the uh, recovery book, which I love. Honestly, I think everybody should read that because there's nothing else like it in the industry. But uh, how can a trainer get that client to start from a dead stop and, and that client feels like they have no incentive to begin? The biggest thing for me, as far as general population people getting started, is to help them realize that by exercising and really working on their body, they're working on their mind as well, because all those things become heightened psychologically. And you're really investing time in yourself to be more formidable to attack everything else in your life. I've talked about this several times before. Uh, when you're able to show that direct work to results ratio, you go out and earn things, you earn the progress that you make with your body, you start to see that you know, investment time, work, and then you see the reward constantly. You're able to go tack everything else in life so much better because you've got more confidence. You feel like just a more formidable person in general. And the work ethic that you can establish with that kind of thing is just direct work and result. And you go out and attack everything else in life and you start making better choices. You start thinking more long-term instead of short-term gratification. All those things just start falling in line. Just helps people turn their lives around in general. Is everybody listening who got started in the fit started in the fitness industry because they had been fit and active? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like your experience? Because Lord knows that it, that sounds a lot like where I started to where I am right now. And I think we all look back and think we were always this way, but no, I was never fully the way that I am now and how I approach work and, and my own training. But I, I agree, like, I feel like I can handle anything in my career. And I think that all stems from a dedication to the gym because you're, you're really in control of what you put into the gym environment. And therefore you can control, if, if you control the inputs, also your nutrition, your sleep, you're in control of the outcomes more or less within your genetics. And uh, there are very, very few people who have such horrendous genetics that you can't overcome with good nutrition, good training, good recovery. He just nodded and agree with me. <laughs> Anything else to add? Yeah, the, um, the real deal with bringing people in to train, it's not about, you know, elevating them past what they could have been somehow. 
It's about realizing the potential that's already there, really. Uh, you talk about our genetics, we do have genetic potential, but I think that actual potential is so much higher than people really believe that it's possible most of the time. Uh, every once in a while you get athletes that don't know how to stop. You know, they'll run through a brick wall. They don't believe in limits and things like that. And there are general population people like that too. But most of the time, people aren't exposed or stressed enough to really see what their potential can be. And I think as coaches, that's one of our biggest responsibilities, aside from keeping them safe, of course, uh, but to really show people what they can be, what their potential is. I like that point about, and uh, they, they don't have a governor on what they think their limits should be. And I find this applies to, you know, the strongest people I know, the best competitive powerlifters that I know. And I like to put it this way, in sort of in joking terms, but I find that the best powerlifters are too stupid to realize that they shouldn't do what they're doing to be able to lift, squat, bench, because <laughs> you could break in fucking half lifting. I mean, if you are literally the guy who has the record for the best, you know, the smallest person to squat a thousand pounds, think about how like most people look at that and be like, I would break in two. And if you believe that, guess what? You're not even going to get under that bar or something terrible is going to happen. Something must be wrong with you up here in order to think I'm going to squat five times my body weight. And uh, right. Like, there, there has to be something. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible, but it, it's bloody. Cool. <laughs> no, people ask me all the time, you know, what, what do you have to do mentally to get ready to do something like that? And I'll, it, it never mattered. Like I was accustomed to lifting heavy weights forever, but when the weight starts to have a comma in it, you know, it, it kind of moves into a different spectrum of, should I really be doing this? You know, it's not a good, good idea. Would you go out and play in traffic? No, it's not a good idea. There's a lot of force involved. Would you get under the weight of a Mini Cooper? That's probably not a great idea. But really, the first thing I tell people is you, you have to have a switch on and off. And if I can turn my inhibition switch off, while I go attempt something really stupid, hopefully in the safest way possible, but it's still really stupid. Uh, you go for glory and there's always risk, right? So you have to be able to turn off your inhibitions of fear and things like that. But I always got nervous. I was always scared getting under that weight, but for whatever reason, fear and being scared of it, it didn't discourage me. It more heightened my senses. It was more of an adrenaline rush. It was something I was still comfortable enough to attempt. You know, hopefully, I didn't endanger my spotters and the people working at the competitions too much by doing that. But you know, some people have that and some people don't. Some people have to figure out how to find that in themselves first. And it kind of goes back to the psychological aspects we were talking about before. So it's, you definitely have to turn off your better judgment quite a bit to try things like that. You, you alluded to something in there that I, I want to elaborate on too. And it's about, oh, there's a great book. It's called Psyched Up, uh, Daniel McGinn. It's right over there in my, in my uh, bookshelf. And he t a lot of it talks about, you know, getting up on stage, public speaking type stuff or other things that would otherwise be kind of scary to us. Um, and, and certainly, you know, getting into powerlifting competition or any competition is a great example of this. And Part, one of the tricks is when you're feeling nervous, when you're feeling anxious about it, well, you just tell yourself that's excitement. And it's a simple but incredibly right. trick where you just reallocate the context of that physiological response. And if you could read, if you can change what you think about how you perceive that physiological response, you can turn it into something positive 
and gain enough control of it to perform well. Does that sound consistent with what you're what we were talking about? 100%. Uh, I can actually go back to my very first peewee football game and learning that lesson. Uh, our coach stood up in front of our team. We'd never had a football team before. I was in fourth grade. And we're looking up at our coaches. Right before our first game, we're supposed to go try and kick the ball, you know, tiny kids. But he looks at us all and says, boys, you look, you look nervous. And everybody kind of nods their head. And like, you feel those butterflies in your stomach? And we're like, uh-huh. And he's like, good. That just means you're going to hit harder when you get out there. And he took that negative and turned it into a huge positive. It's just nervous energy. And really for me, when you start not fearing the actual failure part, you accept failure as a learning lesson, you know? Learning lesson is kind of redundant, but <laughs> failure is a lesson. It's a way to learn things and move on and make it better in the future. And I think if you can really accept that, because the most successful people in the world failed continuously over and over and over again, most of the time. And they learned from those things. And that's why they became wise enough to be exponentially more successful than everybody else. They just put themselves out there on the line constantly. And if you start seeing things in that light, whether it's public speaking or going to competition in sport, or anything, just putting yourself out there. For one thing, you should be proud of that first because that's 90% of the battle, going out and putting it on the line in one regard or another. Uh, that makes you a stronger person. That makes you a more formidable person. And really, it doesn't do anything to hurt you long-term because you just keep fighting, even if you get bad publicity for it somehow. You know, you keep fighting and people see that over time and they start to believe in you, you believe in yourself, and it just changes your entire world. Well, I think we could even take this entire concept and coaches here, here might be something really useful, actionable. I mean, how, how many of us work with clients in person who are stepping foot into the gym for the first time or are really nervous, the type of client that is really intimidated by a gym environment, even helping get them to look at their nervousness as excitement for this process. And if they can start to transfer that process a little bit, that might be the sort of thing that helps them stay in a gym because we know consistency, like where we're all, everybody listening, where we are, we are the products of years of consistency, right? We know it, it's pretty, pretty automatic for us, but we still deal with people all the time who we have to get them consistent. The exercise part is not as complicated. We could argue about sets and reps and this and that and everything else. That's really not as complicated as we like to argue about it and make it. The nutrition, yeah, you gotta unlock some stuff there, but it's still not as complicated as people like to make it paleo versus fucking carnivore versus fasting versus vegan. It is really about establishing something consistent. And if someone can't get started and consistent, they're going nowhere. And you know, over the years, I've worked with a lot of clients where the major obstacle for them was establishing that initial consistency. The ones that stuck with it and made it have done phenomenally well. The ones that struggled, you know, as a coach, I totally feel that responsibility early when I'm dealing with someone. I put that pressure on myself, like, I've got to really make sure I create such a great experience that I can get this person over the hump because. If it's someone where there is, you know, some major long-term health concerns, which are often the most challenging clients to get, you know, going into a gym in the first place, then that's a lot of responsibility for their long-term well-being. And that's why I work very hard at making sure that those people feel very comfortable when I'm working with them. And if, if I get them going, 
They stand a much better chance of keeping going. And then as you as a coach, and this isn't selfish, but if they keep coming back, they keep paying you, they keep trading with you and you have a long-term client, hopefully anyway. Yeah, definitely. Those self-conscious issues that you're talking about, just getting into the gym in the first place, like I said before, that's really the biggest victory. Uh, continuing to go, that's the next one, the consistency involved. But those are the moments where you really increase your formability as a person. And if you can bring that out in other people as coaches, that's our passion in life, or at least it should be, to increase the quality of life of others through what we've gained and worked through in our in our previous endeavors, whether it's sports, education, or you know, all the failures that we had professionally. So if you, if you don't have that passion to bring it out in people, if you're just going there to collect the whatever hourly rate that you're doing, you need to find something else because those moments to get those people to conquer themselves in reality, that's what it's all about. I like that. One of the things that I wanted to dive into with you was, you know, the whole idea of your competitive history. You, you're highly educated. You have a fucking PhD. I love talking to PhDs or something just like, you know, very, very um, rare is too strong a word, but I mean, it certainly takes an incredible dedication to education, time commitment, and a special mindset in order to attain a PhD. Uh, and plus, you know, now your career with uh, RP and everything led up to it. So I believe a lot of fitness professionals, they struggle feeling like they need a roadmap. So if you listening, like I love doing these little things. If you feel like you're struggling to have a roadmap, I want you to shoot me a message, okay? Uh, catch me on my Instagram. And, but yet I think most of the established people in the industry probably have had nothing close to a roadmap from when they start out. I think most people I've ever talked to on the podcast, I think, uh, you know, Dean Somerset, I remember famously, uh, I don't know if you know who Dean is, but he famously always says like, he went and did this and he didn't know what he was doing. And then the next thing happened and the next thing happened and the next thing happened. I certainly could never have imagined being where I am 10 years into my career, uh, having started out. So I really don't think that you need to have a plan. I think the consistent stuff, the becoming formidable, as you put it, which I really love, that's going to stick with me. That'll probably be in the title. Uh, <laughs> I think that's essential to all this stuff. But what I asked was, um, how did your career unfold and what is your best advice for people building their careers right now? Number one, you need to find what you're passionate about whether it pertains to actual professional careers or not. Um, I was lucky in that my passion in life fell into a career, but I think that's what most people end up doing who are truly happy. They find their passion and then they figure out how to make a livelihood out of it. Um, there, of course, there are issues of burnout and things like that along the way. But most of the time, if you can work on what you're passionate about, you're not really working. You, you have a very, very full life. And it's, you know, it's very rewarding in that regard. But for me, I started in high school, and I remember being a, it was a freshman or sophomore in high school, and I just really started working with barbell weights and dumbbells uh, in ninth grade. So a couple of years in. And uh, we started bringing middle school athletes up to the weight room at the high school to help them get started so they'd be better prepared when they made it to high school for their sports and the training involved. And Coaching those kids that were in middle school, just the simplest things, teaching them how to squat, to bench press. Uh, I remember teaching one specific guy how to overhead squat. And it, it wasn't great instruction. I was still a kid very much. But when I could see that direct help turn into some kind of improvement for him and the look on his face when he knew it, 
that was absolutely priceless. And that instant, I knew what I wanted to do. So fast forward a few years, I get out of high school, I start my powerlifting career. I'm already researching as much as I can to learn about physiology, training cycles, training theory, uh, psychology as well, uh, trying to figure out how I can benefit my personal endeavors in powerlifting and all the other strength sports I'll eventually do uh, as much as I can. So for me, the education part, honestly, was 100% selfish. You know what I mean? I was trying to figure out how to be the most successful person I, I could be because I had goals. I, at some point, I wanted to break a world record. I wanted to go compete against the best in the world and be at that level. So I had to look under every single stone, education-wise, go find people that have been around forever, but really benefit from their wisdom. If you have wisdom and knowledge, which wisdom I generally describe is, you know, you have an action and you see a result over time consistently. You may not know exactly why it works or why it happens, but you see that relationship. When you combine knowledge with that, you, you start understanding all the bits and pieces and all the gears turning in the background of what makes that input and output happen. So if you have both of those things together as an athlete, as a coach, as a professional, regardless of what you're doing in life, you really start getting the bigger picture and you can start progressing in things a lot better. So on my undergrad, I was taking exercise science courses. I, was, I got my master's degree in sport kinesiology and then the PhD in sport physiology and performance. It's 100% sport-based. It all personally benefited me. So I take all those things, all the things that I struggled with, all the things that I really sucked at and got better at over the years and all the things that I learned in theory and education. And I can put all that together and lo and behold, we come full circle and I can use all those skills and talents that I developed to go back and put that same smile on every client's face that I did for that kid that was in middle school, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You know what? I said psychology when I introduced you, and I apologize for that. It's physiology. So, no yeah. <laughs> whoops. They look uh, the same. Yeah, but it, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. And then I, I'm thinking of examples. I already mentioned Dr. Jordan Shallow on his episode recently. He talked about diving into the educational side of stuff because he was just genuinely interested in this crap. He would go back to the lab and you know, look at cadavers and figure out how muscles, uh, you know, worked. And then I think of someone like, you know, Dr. Lane Norton is a good example. He's one of the guys that got a lot of nutrition info. And there's going to be listeners who are like, you know, aren't big fans of Lane or, or love him or whatever. I, I like the guy. I met him. He, you know, he's great when I met him a couple of years ago in Dallas and, uh, you know, brilliant fella. He, he's a bombastic character on his, on his media, but that's part of his brand too. And that's what he does. I don't think anybody upcoming should behave on social media the way Lane does. He can get away with it because of where he is. So don't start out that way. Yeah. Uh, you got to earn space <laughs> first before you act in that yeah, manner. You got to get people's respect first there. Yeah, exactly. And then you can piss them all off. But uh, <laughs> those guys were seeking information for sure to be the you know the best at what they were doing because they're both competitive powerlifters. You know, Lane's done bodybuilding on top of that. And they parlayed that into career. And I suspected in a lot of cases, you know, I, I doubt you could have foreseen that you'd be where you are right now as part of the Renaissance periodization team. Who knows? Maybe that was your goal all along. You just, you know, single-minded, I'm going in that direction. But I'm guessing that it probably, you probably didn't have the, a, a true roadmap of it. Not exactly. No. Uh, honestly, when I finished high school, I went straight to community college and I was so burned out on school and that entire lifestyle 
I, I failed, I think, three out of the four classes that I was taking in that first semester. It's like, I got to get out of this. Something, this just isn't working. So I went out and worked a manual labor job for a year. I was uh, helping with construction of houses and do landscaping and golf courses and things like that. And after that year was over, I was like, well, shit, I understand the value of an education now. So <laughs> I'm, I'll go back to community college and I'm more passionate about what I'm doing. I understand it. It has value in my life now. You have to learn those lessons one way or another. And I actually advocate for people to take time away from school. Go up, get out in the real world. Uh, go work retail. If you want to learn how to work with people, go work retail. Because there is nothing like finding people that are just angry about everything and having to convince them and keep them happy as an employee of the business where you have no leverage whatsoever. So learning your people skills there, I think everybody should go to first. But so after high school, I didn't want to go to school anymore. I go learn the value of it. I go back to school. I go to finish my undergrad. I eventually end up at Appalachian State after community college. I finish that and I'm thinking, there's no way I want to go and do more school. I am so burned out. I hate this stuff. And I have a talk with Dr. Mike, actually. I met him in 2007 when I was in, at Appalachian State. He was getting his master's there at the time. But he moved on to ETSU, East Tennessee State, to get his PhD in the same thing that I got mine in. And I go to visit him in Johnson City when I was still at App State. And I'm actually leaving to go back to Boone. And he says, he gives me a call. And he says, Derek, I want to ask you, what's your, what are you doing after you finish your undergrad? He's like, ah, I figure I'll just, you know, I'll finish with a degree and I'll, uh, I'll go do some personal training or something like that. And he's like, okay, well, here, just, just hear me out on this. I'm, I'm just going to be real with you for a minute. Um, I think you're going to waste your entire life if you don't come to grad school at ETSU. Uh, you have my attention. All right, so tell me about it. <laughs> and, um, you know, skip a few steps there. He convinces me. I go talk to Dr. Stone there. And first thing he asks is like, why are you getting a degree that's not in exercise science in your undergrad and you want to come to a sport physiology and kinesiology program? And I explained to him, I've actually seen a lot of people that are in strength and conditioning that are coaching at really high levels, making great money. And they're some of the dumbest people I've ever met in my life. They'd, they wouldn't know whether to wind their watch or scratch their ass in a weight room. You know what I mean? So I didn't see the point of pursuing that career when people who were terrible at what they were doing were making this money. Anywho, that's exactly what Dr. Stone had seen and everybody else at East Tennessee State. It's a coach's uh, education program. We're trying to help fix those issues for the betterment of the athletes and put out better coaches in general. So always props to the Center of Excellence there for sports education or coaches education. So our passions aligned. And you find people who have those common passions and you drive each other to points past where you really thought you could go. Because when you get in a good environment like that, it really is the sky's the limit. And after my master's degree, a year in, I was asked, so you're gonna apply for the PhD program? I'm like, no, <laughs> I was already burned out on that. I've never been a good student, honestly. And then soon, you know, I, I guess it was six months after that, I have a sit down talk with Dr. Stone. He was like, have you, have you thought about hanging around? What are you going to do after your degree? He's like, I figure I'll just go and find a job, use my master's degree. I think you should probably apply to the PhD program. Is that right? I'm going to get in. I'm like, I, I just think you should apply. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so 
he convinces me to hang around and it was a terrific, terrific choice. I'm glad I've had the right people in the right times to push me forward when I really needed it. So, and it, I really had no intention, but it was just those common passions, those people along the way that helped push me in that right direction. And you got to find those people in life who are also passionate about what they do and very positive because without them, you know, I could have been stuck, you know, still cutting grass somewhere for minimum wage. I think this ties into the people who kind of wait around for opportunity to kind of bite them on the ass and it never comes versus, you know, creating your own destiny by head down, put in the effort, get the education, do the work. And if along the way you, I value networking uh, tremendously. I value the relationships across the industry tremendously. And I'll come back to, you know, Dr. Mike is a really good example of that. And those relationships often will come around in interesting ways when you're ready, or maybe even when you're not ready, you have to step through the door anyway, to open up opportunity for you that, well, if, if you prepared yourself, you'll be capable of handling, even if you don't feel like you're ready. And, you know, one of the things that I've been doing as a side project on top of full-time coaching all year, COVID kind of cooled it a little bit, but I've still been pretty busy the whole time. Um, I've been working, obviously the podcast is a podcast. I write for T Nation, I write for True Coach, but uh, I said, okay, this year, you know what? Yes, Instagram as a vanity metric can be this silly thing, but at the same time, you know, people look at it and, and they put a certain value on it. And I kind of, I'm like, shit, you know, that 10, that 10,000 follower mark in the swipe up function would be pretty useful for sharing articles and for, uh, for podcasts. So I said, okay, you know, I'm going to put some regular effort into this, be consistent, see what happens. And so I'm on pace. I should hit 10,000 before Christmas. And I started the year under 3,000 followers. And, you know, like we're talking about Dr. Michael. Hey, I've learned a shit ton from him over the years, which has helped me be a better coach. But Mike, at a few key intervals, had shared one of my posts straight up on his wall. And this is a guy with 140,000 followers. He is widely respected in the industry. And he doesn't share a lot of people's stuff. He'll put some Spencer stuff up on there. Some take Brian Cron's post up there once, you know, a couple other people. But then he keeps week over week sharing mine. I think it was like five times. And then all of a sudden, people got to be like, well, who the fuck is this guy that Mike Isertel is airing, <laughs> which is our giant rubber stamp of credibility and approval on. So, of course, those caused major surges in followers that the following was otherwise kind of growing. And then I had, uh, you know, shares on a big account like Jordan Syatt uh, tagged me in a story. He's got 660,000 followers. I wake up, I got 400 new followers. And 400 followers to someone who at the time had 4,000 followers is 10% of your following when you think about it, right? That's enormous. Right. So, and then like today alone, two of my friends actually just on podcast, Chad Hargrove and Susan Niebergall, each one of them shared my post that I put up on Instagram today. They each got 100,000 followers and they put it in their story. So, you know, there's a little surge came in through there so all these people and jordan i've never met in person but we've had a ton of interaction over podcasts we text each other all the time he's become a really good friend but everybody else i met through my travels and at the time you know like chad i remember meeting him at and susan they met him at the same time in 2017 same time i met spencer at the kansas city fitness summit and i was teasing chad because he was pretty drunk one night but you know what got him on social media kept interacting with him <laughs> And then much later on, he's had a ton of success. Susan's been wonderful. And here they're turning around. They're actually kind of just casually helping me with this quest. They're great podcast guests. So, you know, it comes back to that whole thing about networking. You never know the person that you're meeting. And in the case of like 
Mike, yeah, I knew who he was when I first met him. He came to Edmonton. You know, thankfully, I knew the organize, the event organizers, so I got to kind of have a, a small private dinner, sit down with him, got to know him more, and, you know, took off from there. But, you know, Chad, I don't know what the fuck Chad Hargrove was when I first went to this conference. Meet the guys, really cool down to earth. Met a ton of people there. A lot of people, they were just in the same place I was. But they've had their own career trajectories, and Chad was someone who did social media well and blew up a huge following. So it's not just about, you know, try to curry favor and cozy up to the, the Spencer Nadolskis and the, uh, the Mike Gizertels of this. It's also the person who is right there along next to you who's got the same passion and interest. And you guys can grow in the industry together because, you know, there are a tier of people. You're, I, I like to pick up people like Eric Cressy or John Berardi. Yeah, I've had John on the podcast, but, you know, they're on another tier now. I mean, Cressy's working for the New York Yankees. We're not rubbing shoulders with those people at events anymore right they've grown beyond this john Brody has even stepped away from pn he, you know he's a figurehead but he he's pretty much just sold the company so you know trying to gain favor with these people is a complete waste of your time so treat the people who are where you are or are following in your footsteps who are really trying those are the people who are going to be a big part of your success uh, having relationships with them and supporting them so let's see about if you have absolutely yeah yeah let's see if you have any thoughts on you know uh, you obviously work with high level athletes and keeping those guys on guys and girls on track in their fitness and nutrition um, any thoughts to how that applies to kind of everyday people and maybe as well are there any popular industry messages that you're seeing or behaviors that you think are kind of generally accepted or common. But are causing more harm than good. I'll just let you play with your your pet peeves or your ideas there. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one of the big things that we see a lot is just about being hardcore in the weight. That's always been a pet peeve to me. I actually made a post on that on my Instagram account not too long ago, laying out what was and what wasn't hardcore. So if you guys want to check that out at Wilcox Strength Age, but sex, shameless plug. Um, Please go. But really. I, yeah, um, it, it drives me nuts to see people that, you know, through one means or another, they've got incredible physiques, but the training practices that they show are honestly, it's, um, they're irresponsible to say the least. You train to failure constantly, you're accumulating fatigue all the time. And there are avenues of just, you know, trying to outrun that with drug use or whatever it is. But for people that are watching that, they don't know the difference, you know? And if you're constantly doing that and you set that level of expectation for how hard you're supposed to work and you don't want to leave the gym until you're completely crippled or something, uh, you're, in, you're going to end up influencing people to train that way who aren't doing the same things you are. And they're going to end up hurting themselves. And you're probably going to have a substantial injury to where they just don't go back to the gym. And I do feel like, especially as coaches, not online figures, but as coaches who happen to be online, um, we have responsibility to put out that kind of evidence-based information to make sure people don't fall into those traps. We don't do this for attention. We do it for the benefit of our clients and to hopefully make a living doing so still. But this isn't about going out and putting out the craziest training video that you can. It's about going out and improving people's lives by doing it responsibly, and you have to take the responsibility of being educated first and foremost, very, very seriously, or you risk, you know, most dangerous person in the world is the person with a little bit of knowledge. 
They learn just a little bit. They have no idea what they don't know, which is just like going to failure all the time and training or doing super crazy variations and, you know, a squat with terrible form, but they don't know what's bad for them because they've never seen, you know, the biomechanics to go behind it. They don't know what's going on physiologically in the kinesiology side of things. So if you don't take those things seriously as a coach, you, you run the same risk of being kind of an online gimmick that's going to flat more of a flash in the pan than anything. Get real popular for a little while, something terrible happens, and all of a sudden your following's gone. So if you bring real substance to the world, regardless of what the profession is, but especially in exercise and fitness, you're going to be able to hang around. And the climb might be slower, but the people that follow you are going to be much more dedicated. and They're going to respect you a lot more. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, straight up uh, Dudding-Kruger effect when it comes to... 100%. Yeah. You don't want to live on that first big spike of not knowing what you don't know. No. And I think most of the people in the corner of the industry that you and I both uh, exist within are probably a little bit more on the other side of it where they... Imposter syndrome has been a big topic of conversation recently. And I think a lot of those people are afraid that they're not qualified or they, they don't, they haven't earned the right yet to share a lot of this information. I think if you are someone plugged into smart quality um, people in the industry, if you've been following, you know, the Renaissance periodization team and their, their information, then the fact that you choose that, that's self-selecting, right? That if you're choosing to follow RP, that tells me you're pretty evidence-based, you're pretty smart about this stuff. You got a pretty good grasp on, on volume for hypertrophy and this sort of stuff. And you probably are nodding your head going, yeah, like you don't take everything to failure because Lord knows I'm here nodding my head going, yes, fuck, this is exactly what I think. And you get some, some person who is just like, oh no, you need to take everything to failure. You know, you know, volume doesn't matter. Like what, where the fuck are you getting this idea? Right? I mean, yeah, training intensity is really important, especially in strength sports, but absolutely you take everything to failure, especially big compound stuff you're going to accumulate more fatigue than you are training effect. You will just straight up. And if you're always going balls to wall, like you're saying, and you're not getting the recovery and here's a key, you're going to accumulate like training is creating micro traumas on tissue, on muscle tissue, but joint tissue, bone tissue. And you have to take the time to repair fuel, recover those micro traumas. That is how you get stronger. That is how you grow muscle. If you are not doing the proper recovery, well, muscles recover quickly, bone recovers relatively quickly, joint tissue recovers very slowly. Those micro traumas will accumulate to the point where pretty soon you're gonna have a macro trauma and then we're talking about a serious injury, especially if you're into strength sports. And then where, where are you now? You're, you're fucked for a while, you're, uh, you're hurt, you're out and you can't train. And quite frankly, I mean, I've got friends who just through bad luck who are trainers, you know, go and shatter a kneecap or, or something else. All of a sudden they get even work, right? They're not even able to stand yep. on the gym floor with the clients. And then what the hell are you doing? So, yeah, I, I've found this whole concept of, you know, hardcore intensity, you know, training to failure on everything is, is misguided at best. I mean, not using any failure, especially if you're, you know, training to hypertrophy, that's no good either, right? And I also think that, you know, for general population clients, they don't even know what the fuck failure is. They've hit what they think is failure and they probably got two or three more reps. Right. So you also have to develop the psychological tolerance for failure and to recognize what it is. That's a different conversation. So um, any other yeah, good of yours or, or better messages, because I'm not about complaining about stuff. I'm about, okay, we got to identify a problem, but 
how can we create a better message? So maybe here's a better question. You know, what's your philosophy towards how Renaissance periodization combats, brands itself and combats misinformation and reaches for attention and eyeballs? Well, that's the cool thing about RP. We have our transformation page and people can literally just go look at the results. There are thousands and thousands of posts on the transformation page on Instagram where you can see, okay, these people followed an evidence-based progress process and this is what happened. And really it's, it's weird for people that are in RP and in our industry, they're actually in the education field or academia because the things that we're putting out as far as products and books and the information and coaching methods that we use, we're not, we don't feel like we're doing anything groundbreaking. We're literally taking all the best information from the research that's been done over the last you know, 60, 70 years that has consistently shown the same things to work. And the better our ability to measure things gets, we can refine those procedures a little bit more and more over time. But we know the basics of what works. We know that what the correlations are, and we can heavily imply what the causations are for training progress to gain hypertrophy, to get as strong as possible the mechanical aspects, you know, the anatomy, uh, doing assessments biomechanically. That's one of my specialties that I work with my clients on a lot. It's nothing special because we're not inventing it. We're just taking the information that's consistently been released and proven to work. And we're putting it together in a way that's palatable for everybody else to use. Oh, cool. Um, I'm enjoying the whole, you know, thought process on the RP team. So uh, one of the last thing I wanted, the major question I had for you was, you know, what's appealing about being part of that team? Because, you know, I'm an example of someone who has a very individual brand, right? I am myself. You have your, you know, your Tony Jellicord, you have your Jordan Syed, you have your Sohi Lee's, Lane Norton's, you know, a number of the other names I've thrown out there. I mean, Mike Isagel certainly has his own brand, but I mean, he's still, he's one of the founders, owners, figureheads of, of RP. And you have people who, my next guest, if everything goes according to plan, is my good friend, Mike Dola, who owns Stronger You. And he's built a team where he hires a lot of coaches. Him, um, Brad Dieter and Jay Woith are, are the guys behind Macros Inc. Brad Dieter, who's a PhD, awesome dude, reached out to me not too long ago asking, you know, because I have a big network of people, for potential coaches for them to hire. They were looking to hire some people. So I put up a social media post, got a ton of responses, funneled a whole bunch of people their way, and they hired a bunch of them, right? So I love stuff like that. But it's very appealing for some people to get to be a coach under a banner. And I think where maybe certainly the marketing work and the brand work is all done for them, and they don't have to really put that effort in. And maybe it's because their passion is just straight up in the coaching and working with the individual. So do you think that's part of it? And, uh, you know, are there any other trade-offs to where you've planted your flag as part of the RP team versus trying to make a big name for yourself? Um, you know, take it away. Well, honestly, with the people that are on our coaching staff and the people that work, not more with customer service and things like that, uh, we did have a ton of people go through the very same program in East Tennessee State. So we understand sports science to a pretty deep degree. And as a group, we can come together. We have emails all the time where we're sharing research that's popped up. We're talking about talks that people have given at different seminars and different, um, you know, like a coaches college that we have here. Uh, but we share all those resources. We know how to interpret the research properly. We can read the statistics because we were all taught very similar ways. And by sharing all those relevant resources and brand new stuff that's coming out, meta reviews, analysis, things like that, 
we stay on top of our game and we can do it as a team because the more eyes that are on the journals that are coming out, they come out all over the world. So it's hard to keep up with everything by yourself, but when you have a big group, it's all trying to do the same thing. We actually make everyone else better a little bit quicker that way. And knowing the team, I mean, if you guys had all gone to, or a lot of you guys had gone to the same program, through the same program, and, you know, we're looking at a lot of the same research, you know, almost anyone else, I would think you could be pretty guilty of groupthink or like too much conformity. I know Mike at RP way better than that to know. Like, that's not the sort of thing that probably ever goes on. And I know that there's a, a climate that's fostered where people can share their ideas and, and be critical of things that they don't agree with. So I think you guys have built that in, in particular, but otherwise I think you have to be kind of careful of groupthink. Oh, 100%. That's the nice thing about the research is it doesn't 100% agree with everything else that's out there. <laughs> so the interpretations of all the, the case studies and the research that's been done, you really have to find particular ways to interpret it. We can argue about that stuff back and forth, but we, we keep it respectful as scientists. Um, there are a lot of things with uh, metabolite accumulation training. That's a hot, it's been a hot subject for like 10 years or so. But how do you interpret the increase in muscle size that's measured by ultrasound for cross-sectional area, how do you interpret that versus the difference of normal training and strength increases when you don't have quite as many strength increases with blood flow restriction training? You know, the same thing's happening, but there's a slightly different result. What's the back, the underlying mechanism for all those things? We go back and forth on that kind of stuff all the time. But I think all those kinds of issues that we bring up and the arguments that we have it helps push us all to think bigger, larger, and get a better view on what's going on in the scientific world. That's why, and again, like, absolutely, I brought you on here to plug you, but plug RP as well, because I believe in RP. I love their you know, educational information, and whenever they come to Alberta, I am at one of the seminars. Like That's a big thing for me. So I think you guys are at the forefront of education in the fitness industry. And again, the cool thing about the RP books, which I think is the first thing I would you know, say, hey, guys, go check that stuff out. It's incredibly well-researched. Uh, I mentioned the recovery book earlier, and I think James Hoffman was kind of, I know there's a few bodies involved in that one. I feel like James is kind of the, the forefront of that. It's a fucking great book. It's full of information that's pulled together that it, it just doesn't exist anywhere else that I've seen. And it pretty right. much debunks a lot of the over-sensationalized claims about you know, shit like, uh, you know, heat therapy, cold therapy. Hey, there, there's some stuff there. Cold therapy is a mild analgesic. And yes, LeBron James use it in season, you know, as something that addition to the other millions of dollars he spends a year on his body, his health, his nutrition, his training, <laughs> that might help him get on the court game after game after game. But if you're using cold therapy in between, in, during a, an off season where you're trying to put on 20 lean pounds of muscle, that's a stupid fucking idea because you're interfering with inflammation, which you actually need to grow muscle, right? So- Right. I like that book and, and the workout of RP and I'll, and I'll use Gabby Fundaro as another good example because she's brilliant when it comes to gut microbiome, gut health. Well, you know, there's all kinds of crazy claims about gut microbiome and it's like, it's the, it's everything. No, we don't fucking know anything about it. We have a, a, a tiny little surface level understanding of what's going on there. And anybody who's making these absolutist claims about it, they're completely out to lunch or they're just marketing shit. So you know, I love Gabby for, no, this is like, this is what's, what we know. Here's what's probably going on. And it's a measured evidence-based approach to things. And maybe it, it doesn't have the oversimplified sexy answers that everybody wants the way that, you know, news media portrays it. 
But the truth, and you as a trainer probably need to know this shit because you're going to come up against the bullshit and the misinformation when your clients read it online or get told it by a neighbor. You get, you have to have a functioning knowledge of this stuff. So you don't tell your, your client, hey, that was fucking stupid. No, this is wrong. You say, okay, I'm really glad that you're you're researching this stuff. So cool. Here's here's what's right. And, uh, you know, here's some stuff that, you know, tends to get overblown a bit and you do it in a nuanced way. You don't make them feel stupid. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, honestly, one of the biggest things in education at a higher level in grad school and PhDs give you is a much thicker bullshit filter. Because when you see those things pop up and you have clients ask you about it, it's like, no, that's all horseshit. Let me tell you why. And you can break it down step by step about, you know, molecular signaling, and, you know, the cold bass and it can inhibit hypertrophy signaling and, uh, Keto diets have specific effects. This might be why you're actually seeing the big drop in body weight. But when you add carbs back in or start eating normally, you blow up and gain 10 extra pounds. Same thing with Atkins forever ago. Uh, And you have all these kind of gimmick diets that pop up. And we can actually break down the physiology of what's happening to your body during the process. And we can predict what's going to happen later. And more often than not, that's what really gains people's respect. If you can tell them what they're feeling or what they're about to feel, and it definitely comes true because you understand the principles of physiology, um, then I don't think there's anything better than that as a coach. Wow, that's super cool. Well, I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. Where are you most active on social media or online? I'm on Instagram at Wilcox Strength Inc. And also on Facebook, you can look up my name, Derek Wilcox, or Wilcox Strength Inc. is my business page on there as well. Check me out on the biography page for the team on uh, renaissanceperiodization.com as well. Cool. And it's D-E-R-E-K, because I know there are like a million different ways to spell Derek, so <laughs> that'll trip Yes, out. my dad was quite thrifty with pen ink, so he wanted the shortest variation of Derek possible. Cool. Oh, it works. And uh, for all the regular listeners, guys, I really appreciate the fact that you're still here. Uh, thanks for sharing this thing. You know, who is it? Uh, Andy Frisella, the MFCEO project. I always got a kick out of that. It, it's changed direction a little bit, so it's not my favorite podcast anymore. But he used to say, you know, the cost of admission is to share it with someone. So if you found this has been really helpful, maybe take someone that you know is in our world who'd r- probably benefit from it, who's trying to grow a career, and send them a link directly and drop it in their lap and say, listen, listen to this. This is going to make your career better. But anyway, I appreciate all you guys being here. Derek, thanks so much for coming on here, man. I appreciate this. this was fun. And, um, you know, I don't hate the idea of, uh, you know, you guys, the listeners, giving me some five-star reviews on iTunes. That stuff does help. And if you are still not yet following me on Instagram, I've been super active on there. So Andrew Coates Fitness, go link up with me there and shoot me a message. I want to chat with you guys. Derek, thanks so much, brother. Uh, stick around for a second. I'll, we'll chat off air. And, uh, and thanks, guys.